0: This is the 2.0 Radio, amplifying the voices of connected government and public
1: innovation. Hello and welcome. I'm Alison Hornery and thanks for tuning in. The state of Utah in the U.S. has been well regarded for a number of years now for its commitment to e-services through its portal at utah.gov. And they've recently been the subject of a study by the University of Utah looking at measuring the value of delivering these services online with some very interesting results, I have to say. So it's a great pleasure to be joined today by Rich Olson, the General Manager of Utah Interactive, and Dr. Jennifer Robinson, the Director of the Center for Public Policy at the University of Utah and the author of the study. Welcome to you both. Thanks Thank for you. Help. Glad to join you. So, Rich, if we can turn to you first. Uh, Utah.gov is renowned for its continuous evolution about what seems to be every 12 months or so. Um, There seems to be a real step change and almost a complete redesign of the online experience that you're providing for for Utah citizens. Why have you decided to to go on such a a change-based path?
0: Well, the um, original intent was to do it every two years. (laughs) <laughs> uh that's changed because uh, technology in the world has changed and changes every, about every 12 months, uh, most times faster than that. But um, any more than 12 months uh, with any significant change would be very confusing for the end users or the citizens of the state. So uh, we design, uh, at least make a major design every year, um, we'd prefer to go every two years, but the technology and, and just the evolution of the industry uh, makes that almost impossible.
1: Mm, and so, obviously, also within that 12 month cycle, uh, you're introducing new services and, and so on. And I, I understand that you've got more than a thousand services available online through utah.gov now. Um, how do you go about sourcing these services, and, and what are the most popular ones are you finding? You know, the problem for
0: us really hasn't been to stop the agencies from innovating uh, because naturally they want to, because the the whole uh, name of the game is to get people to do transactions and take care of their business with government uh, someplace other than a government office. And so the drive for them is always to bring these services uh, that typically have always been done in-house, put those online so electronically they're done much more efficiently. So... The, the difficult part for us is finding out about those services once they've been been released to the public. Mm. And so um, where an agency may have released three or four online services for the year, for us to find out, uh, categorize, and make them a part of Utah.gov website in a manner that can be found very easily uh, takes a bit of time.
1: Mm. And I can imagine, too, that it takes a bit of time in building those relationships with agencies to to make sure that that channel stays open and that you can um, direct people their way, the most efficient way possible.
0: Well, that's one of the advantages that we have with over 1.2 million people, uh, unique visits every single month Mm. uh, to the site. That's one thing we can offer to agencies, that people will see their their services uh, if they allow us to uh, grab access to them.
1: So obviously a huge undertaking there. Let's let's talk a little bit about the study now. Uh, Jennifer, just give our listeners a bit of a sense of the work of the Center for Public Policy to to start with.
2: Sure, the Center for Public Policy and Administration is a research center based at the University of Utah and we do work for cities and counties in the state of Utah helping them to improve how they operate. And Utah Interactives parent company, NIC USA, contacted us more than a year ago, and asked us if we would help them look at the financial value of offering services online. And we were glad to do that. The benefit of this is looking at the growth in state government and the growth in e-government services, going from just one little service offered in 1999 to more than a thousand services that are offered today. It's valuable to go back and say, what is the financial benefit? to the state of Utah and to our taxpayers of having these services online rather than offline. So
1: I can imagine it's also very challenging to assess that financial value. Can you
2: walk us through the approach that you took to the Utah.gov study? Sure. Let me tell you a little bit about the methodology. We asked the state of Utah to give us The top 25 online services, and we wanted those 25 services that had the highest transactions in 2010. From that list of 25 services, we approached those state agencies and asked them to assist us. We had them conduct a survey, and they outlined how much the service cost them, how much it cost them per every transaction, and what it would cost them if the service was offline. For example, rather than do something online like register your car, how much would it cost you to register your car by mail? And, and that's how we went about it. All of the data was provided directly by the agencies. So when you set out on this
1: exercise, what
2: did you expect to find? Well, I guess our expectation was that offline services would be more expensive than online services, but we really didn't know to what extent it would be. And we weren't sure if the agencies would even be capable of estimating those expenses. Some of the services that we evaluated that were in the top 25 were never offline services. So it's hard to get an estimate of what it could possibly have cost to be offline, such as in mail, by mail, in person, those kinds of things. Um, but luckily, the agencies were very helpful, and any time we had a question with the data, we went back to them, and they were more than willing to clarify. Uh, every agency has a director, and those directors were involved from the very beginning of the study.
0: Alison, can I add to that? Please. Uh, we we were really excited uh, that when we were chosen, uh, when NIC chose Utah to do this study because we knew that we were making a pretty big impact to the state already as far as the efficiency gains in the offices. Um been told, you know, hundreds of times by different agencies that, you know, X service uh, has saved our call center, X amount of calls, sometimes to the range of 30 to 40 percent decrease in calls that they were having to take because something was offered online. So we were so excited. Uh, when when this study began, because we knew uh, that since the efficiency gains were so high that the, um, the, the savings in dollars was also going to be high. We didn't know how much, but we were fairly confident that we would see something, uh, you know, a result that was pretty exciting.
1: Hmm. So let's talk about those results a little bit now, because, I mean, they are exciting, but also, you know, there's a point at which you kind of go, can those numbers be real? <laughs> um, so what I understand is that... Uh, In the end, Jennifer, you ended up looking at around about nine services that you could get decent data about um, over five years to a a total saving or cost avoidance of $46 million. (laughs) How did you arrive at at a number like that? What kinds of things did you look at?
2: Sure. So let me explain what cost avoidance means. The definition of that is really important because it's different than savings. What What we're saying with cost avoidance is that this is the difference between the cost of providing a service online and the costs of providing the same service offline. And when we looked at these nine services, we looked at them from fiscal year 2007 through fiscal year 2011. And we had the actual number of transactions that were done for each of those years. The cost to do that transaction online versus the cost to do it offline. And when you take all of that, we do a formula, conduct a formula, and we're able to get to that massive number of nearly $46 million. And that's over uh, a five-year period.
1: I guess, Rich, can I ask you, given that you'd had some of this anecdotal feedback from agencies that they were seeing some of the benefits of, of moving these services online. $46 million over five years for nine services is a pretty big number. Is there a danger of it being seen by agencies as being almost unbelievable?
0: <laughs> well, one of the reasons why we hadn't gotten this information years, I mean, we, in Utah, we've been um, uh, managing the, the Utah.gov portal for almost 13 years, and uh, some of the, some states much longer. One of the reasons why we've never been able to get that information is because there's always been a fear that if I show that I'm saving money, that the legislature is going to take that money away from me in my budget. Right. And so, mm-hmm. yes, there, we we were we were nervous um, that the numbers uh, would come out fairly high, but we also knew by talking to some of the agency partners that there were some fairly large costs that they did not have to incur because those services were online. And so we had, like I I said before, we had a pretty good gut feeling that the numbers were going to be pretty high. But uh, even these numbers that came out of the study surprised us.
2: Let me add to what Rich was saying. Um, I think the types of costs that have been avoided have been things like brick and mortar, Building an actual new building to house services has been avoided because of having things online. Saving enormous amounts of money from paper when you have to mail out, for example, car registrations and a citizen has to mail that back. Saving on postage, saving on personnel, those are big costs that the state has been able to avoid just simply by making services available online. One of the other things that has happened by services going online is the demand has just skyrocketed. I think Rich mentioned that it's what, um, how many how many hits do you have on utah.gov each,
0: each month? Uh, at a mil- least 1.2 unique.
2: Yeah, over a million unique visitors on utah.gov each month. What we saw over this five-year period is the number of transactions just, shooting through the roof and what that tells us is not only that the state is avoiding expenses because the service is online but that citizens are finding access to be easier and they're liking to use the services so that's been an an, a benefit that we didn't even measure but we know is happening here And
0: Um, and also governor herbert has said this pretty proud of the fact that even though that these services or the need for these services is skyrocketing. Uh, they haven't had to hire. In fact, I think that the the number of state employees has remained the same almost for the past four to five years, which is unheard of, especially given how much more transactional, uh, how much how, how many more transactions are occurring online as opposed to in the office.
1: Hmm. So, Jennifer, can you give us also a sense of? what kinds of services are included in those nine? I'm interested in the diversity um, Mm -hmm. of, of services there. The
2: type of services that were in the study, we had actually, out of the 25 top services, we could get data for 19 services. And those things ranged from business registration through the Department of Commerce, or vital record searches, such as getting a birth certificate or a death certificate ordered online through the health department. Making a reservation for a campground was another one. When we met with the Department of Natural Resources, they talked to us about how many employees they used to have to uh, deal with campground registrations, people calling up to reserve their spot. That just doesn't even happen anymore. Everybody just reserves their campground spot going online. Same thing with getting a permit for deer hunting. They used to have to send out and have tons of paper and send out registration forms and this and that. It's all done online and it's just a thousand times easier for the citizens. It's a thousand times easier for businesses in Utah and it's just helping the state avoid major expenses.
1: Jennifer, you, you mentioned the usage of the site skyrocketing and, and people really moving online to, to access these services. In mm-hmm. looking at the, uh, the data that you had, did you see any particular trends or, or usage trends uh, linked to the relaunches of the on this 12-month kind of process that, uh, that utah.gov seems to have? Was there any kind of um, linkage between when that was launched
2: and usage of or take-up of services? I didn't, I didn't check on that. Rich might have some data from his shop on those things. Well, one, one thing
0: that we really try to improve, and really the, the, the crux of the improvements that we've made over the last several years have been towards search. And so what our goal is, and has always been, is try to bring out the services to the forefront so that when a citizen can get to Utah.gov, they immediately find the service. Uh, that they're looking for, because typically that's what they're looking for. There are a lot that come in for information, but most have a tendency to come in because they have to transact some kind of business with the state. So we have seen a steady increase in um, number of transactions as far as adoption rates on different um, on our different applications, especially those uh, with businesses. Uh, in addition, it's also made a lot more demand for additional services by. People um, describing what it is that they would like to have done online Uh, and so uh, there we've seen a steady increase in the adoption of the applications but also a steady increase of the demand for uh, services offered
1: hmm okay so one of the other aspects of of the study was also Looking at the impact of the self-funded model that's being used, Jennifer, can you can you just explain the self-funded model and how you you found that uh, that there was 15 million extra dollars in there uh, that were saved uh, by by going down this path?
2: Sure. There are two basic components of the self-funded model, and the first involves a transaction fee that's added to. The service. For example, if you registered your car online, maybe you pay an extra dollar and that dollar goes towards building and maintaining an online service. The second form of the self-funded model involves an independent contractor, in this case Utah Interactive, who provides the service at no cost to the state and no cost to the consumer. Uh, An example of this is the voter registration site that is provided to our Lieutenant Governor's office. And the data for the cost savings for these services that are provided by Utah Interactive under the self-funded model is actually provided by their parent company, NIC USA. And they were able to say that the $15 million um, are costs that are incurred through information technology, management, marketing, uh, customer service, and those kinds of administrative costs.
1: So obviously, if you add all of that together, that's just over $60 million worth of savings. Rich, can I ask you, what kind of impact does this very metrics-based evidence have on your plans to evolve Utah.gov and the directions that you choose to take?
0: That's a great question. Um, we have a, a real luxury in Utah of having, having leaders that have a great vision of what they would like to accomplish over the next five to ten years. And I'd say um, there's probably not many uh, states um, or cities or counties that have that kind of vision, uh, but we work so, with some pretty, pretty great people on the state side that really know what the, where they would like to be uh, in the long term. And we never have to sell an idea typically to the state as far as, an innovation um, or an idea because they're usually on board with it or they're coming to us and suggesting that same thing. One, one great example of that is the, the governor's office is, um, now that they've heard the, the, uh, the, the outcome of the study, are really now trying to push more online services. And actually, they've come up with a, a committee um, specifically looking for efficiency in government. And as they go through that study and and this this group looks for ways to become more effective and more efficient, uh, certainly that will mean more online services. So when we go to agencies, it's really a great story for us to be able to say, you know, we know the times are tough. We know budgets are down. We know things are getting slashed. And it might sound a little bit counterintuitive that maybe you should invest in an online service. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the fact of the matter is, is it saves money. And uh, in the long run, it saves a lot of money. And so if... If we if we could show them, which now we can, that them putting up an online service uh, may be a little bit tough and it may cost a little bit of money and even time on their side in the beginning, it's going to pay off in spades in years to come.
1: So that leads me really nicely to a question that I have for Jennifer around uh, agencies being able to measure this, these benefits for themselves. Um, and I can imagine um, in the the 25 services that you were looking at and and. I can imagine that you would have had, you know, some just simply weren't able to be measured for various reasons. What advice would you give agencies who are looking to understand the value of the the online services that they're delivering? What kind of metrics or measures or what sorts of things should they be looking at to better understand and then calculate the the return on the investment that they're
2: making? I think there are a couple of things that agencies could be doing to help in the long run, measure how much savings there is or how much cost they avoid when they move a service from offline to an online service. They certainly should be tracking personnel expenses. How much does it cost them to have a person or a number of people providing the service in an offline format? And once they move to an online format, they can easily measure the personnel cost savings that way. Uh, they should certainly be tracking the number of transactions that occur offline and online, and they should be tracking their costs per transaction offline and online. And then as they begin to look at moving services from an offline to an online format, they need to be considering how much do they save in actual brick and mortar. Building a new building is really very expensive, And then there's ongoing maintenance of the building on top of that. If you can avoid building a new building simply by putting a service online, there could be incredible savings. And we see that in the $46 million cost avoidance um, in this study as well. So those are a couple of things that I think uh, agencies should be tracking right, right now. And then when we go back and look at this, say, in five years, we can have a easier time in collecting the data and doing the actual economic analysis of it. Um, I guess there's one last thing I'd, I'd point out, that utah.gov has become more and more the first point of contact for citizens with our state government. And our citizens are very tech-savvy tech people. The potential benefits of e-government for our citizens are so numerous. It can save people time. It can save them money. It's very, very easy to use. It's so convenient. You can access it 24 hours a day, seven days a week. These are huge benefits to the citizens. So beyond looking at saving money for our state, avoiding costs for our state, they can start thinking about how much benefit this brings to our citizens and how it helps citizens to engage with government. And it also, I have, to, I have to believe this, it also improves citizens' belief in how government operates when it becomes so much easier and so much more convenient.
0: One of the interesting things that Jennifer's team did also through the studies—they is they, actually, they, they asked the agencies, um, do you remember what it was like before you had these services online, and kind of described that. And when they did that, they could then start calcul- calculating in their head what those savings were because uh, the world has vastly changed for them uh, since they've got that online services up.
1: Yeah. So, Rich, can I, I finish our, our discussion today with a big question for you? Uh, having been involved with utah.gov for 13 years, that's a long time to to follow, I guess, a vision. What's the biggest lesson that you've learned in developing utah.gov that you'd share with other state or central governments who need to provide that single point of entry to multiple sources?
0: Well, um, I I kind of uh, go back to what I said before, that the way that you get folks to the services is um, by a good design that's not cluttered and and fairly straight to the point, in our case, a search. Um, But I guess I I would also say that um, what we do... At Utah.gov is we we try to innovate, but we do it in, in a way that um, it's not necessarily. If you were to to look at the innovation that we uh, that we deliver on a daily basis, it's it's not really innovative to the rest of the world, but to government it is. And so, trying to keep up with technology itself is is in of itself its own selling point to government because they want to be. Um, on the leading edge, but not on the bleeding edge, and I think that's pretty important. But one other other part about this study that I wanted to add is that um, this can be extrapolate, extrapolated out to any state. This is not unique to Utah. In fact, this is only nine services out of a 1,000 that um, Jennifer's team, uh, the CPPA study, um, and so you can imagine what the real impact of these services are. And so when you start talking to um, agencies about what could be gained not only uh, financially but uh, with just uh, the happiness and the efficiency of their citizens uh, it's an easy sell but um, as far as, as what I've learned over the last 13 years, it's all about simplicity, it's all about uh, listening to agencies that truly know their business and know their customers uh, and knowing what and them listening to them of what their customers want uh, to do in, in online instead of going into an office, and then being able to put a little time and effort into understanding the business and get those things done. Because the fact of the matter is, is agencies know uh, better than anyone uh, what the what the needs and what the desires are of the constituents. Um, they just need a partner that'll, list, that'll listen to them, and will be able to maybe make things not just a, not just a carbon copy of what that citizen would see online. I mean, in the office but make it a better experience online and maybe do with some value adds to it as well. So, uh, for example, you would like to renew your business. Well, at the same time, how would you like to, to see what other things we have to offer? And, and it's really surprising how many um, citizens or businesses don't even realize all of the uh, all of these online offerings that your state has. So it's a matter of allowing them to find or, or take care of the business, uh, that they came to to begin with online, but also to introduce them to a myriad of other pro- projects or processes that they can take care of online.
1: Well, some terrific advice there from, from both Rich and Jennifer around uh, improving the, the way that services are delivered online, but also understanding their impact and, and improving uh, the, the citizen experience. It's been such a pleasure to speak with you today, Rich and Jennifer. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you very much. And if you'd like to follow up on today's discussion with the Utah team, including links to the Centre's uh, study and their findings, you'll find it all at gov 2 Thanks for listening, and I look forward to your company
2: again next time. Bye for now.